So we've embarked upon the journey with Jacob, and we began at uh, that moment of deceit. And now we're going to consider this morning the divine encounter. But yesterday, we, we thought about Jacob at Bethel, the house of God, and as he laid down the foundation stone, and how that figured the great cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ, yearning and aching for other stones, living stones, to come and join him in that day in Zion. Today, we're going to consider Jacob. Jacob wrestling with a mysterious warrior. And this is going to be a, a journey of faith and destiny. And the lesson is all about the need for us to cling on in faith. When we, when we look at the reading that we've just had read with, with Brother Pete there, it's interesting because it's, it's 20 years on from the moment that Jacob left his home. And remember, the, the, the frame of mind he was in when he left his father's home, he was fearing the face of Ethan. 20 years has passed. Seven years for working for Rachel. And, and seven years again, he acquires two wives. And then six years receiving wages in terms of herd and cattle. And now he's ready to embark upon this journey. And in his mind, he wants to appease the situation. He is, he's deeply upset about the things that unfolded. so many years ago, two decades in fact. And he wants to put them right. So in here, in, in Genesis chapter 32, I just want to start off by just looking at verses 13, 14, and 15. And we'll look at this a little more tomorrow, God willing. But here you see a a lavish gift. It's a, it's a peace offering. A peace offering from Jacob to Esau. And if you, you compute all those animals there, you've got 580 animals are being sent as a, as a form of a peace offering. There's a, there's a deep feeling within the heart of Jacob. He wants to address a problem, and he wants to give his brother, you see there in verse 13 and verse 18, a present. But there's a twist. A twist has unfolded. It was unknown to Jacob at that time that that prophecy that was declared by Isaac to Esau, remember that, that the land would be away from the fatness of the earth and away from the dew of heaven. Remember that? That was chapter 27 and verse 39, that he would be out of the land. He wouldn't receive the spiritual gifts from God. And it was unknown to Jacob at that time that two decades would unfold until Esau was about to claim for himself Edom. And he'd assembled 400 of his strongest men. And he'd gone in. And he had navigated the land. And he's just about to make a move to take the land of Edom. So there's a twist in this story. No doubt, with Esau there, as he surveys the land of Edom, he's thinking very, very clearly about that which he was robbed of. The land. Jacob suddenly comes to the forefront of Esau's mind. And you can see here in verse 11 that this was very real to Jacob. Jacob was terrified at the prospect of facing Esau. And I want you to imagine the drama. The, the atmosphere is electric at this moment. The final confrontation between these two brothers. And just look at the language here. It spells, doesn't it, absolute despair. 
Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me. And the mother, or you should have in your translation there, mothers with the children. Just, just enter into the mind of Jacob here. He imagines here a piled high, a grisly mound of, of blood-soaked flesh of his, of his two wives, of Rachel and Leah and his children. This is what he is envisaging. It's a, another worst-case scenario. He's, he's forgetting, isn't he, the angel, the great angel that stood there at the bottom of the staircase and, and embraced him and said, I am with thee. I will never leave thee. And suddenly all these things are, are, are disappearing. And suddenly now the face of Esau is prominent once again within his mind. And he's filled with sheer Don't we worry from time to time? Don't we fret? Don't we have sleepless nights? Don't we too worry and imagine worst case scenarios? Husbands over wives and wives over children and parents over children and children over parents. And hopefully, in part of that, we worry about our brothers and sisters within the ecclesia. This is something, isn't it? Here is Jacob. He's, he's grappling with his fear. It's a, it's a very real situation. And he finds himself now in his darkest hour about to face Esau. And he's going to learn now, truly, that he is not alone. Just notice the words in verse 20. Jacob felt compelled. He was haunted by Two decades of guilt. And I want you just to notice how strong this word is. This was a very strong resolution in the mind of Jacob. He had wronged his brother and he felt it deeply. Verse 20. So this is, this is the instruction that he gives the messenger with the 580 animals as the messenger goes off and, and finds Esau with 400 men in Edom. And this is the message that the messenger went with. The message from Jacob, his brother. Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him. I want you just to notice that phrase, I will appease him. With the present, the present we, we've noticed there, verse 18 and verse 13, that's the 580 animals, and afterward I will see his face. Again, that phrase again that we've seen throughout the week, I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. And I want you just to notice that word appease. You may have a, a slightly different word. But it, in fact, is the Hebrew word kapar, which is atonement. It's to cover. It's to purge. It's to reconcile. It's to make atonement. Here, Jacob is seeking forgiveness for the depth of his wrong. This is really important to appreciate. He has wronged his brother, and we're going to pick up that tomorrow. But Jacob now, he separates himself from his family. He places them on the other side of the river, and he's alone, and he's restless, and it's night, and, and the confrontation is looming, and he, and he sees the face of Esau within his mind. And out of the blue, suddenly something unexpected happened. Verse 24. Jacob was left alone with all these thoughts, the face of Esau, the need to atone for his sin. And there wrestled a man with him until the break of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh 
and the hollow of his Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So without any warning, suddenly Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match. And I want you to notice how the details are not revealed. We're not told exactly where it took place. We're not told exactly the time. It was between night and dawn. Neither does it reveal to us the identity of the opponent. But it was an incredibly real situation. And no doubt, as, as after two decades of separation with the, the face of Esau looming in his mind, and he, he prays to God that his family is spared from this monster that he feels that he's wrestling with his brother. Finally, the moment has come. Now, it's interesting that it is at Jabbok. That's what we discover. It is at the river Jabbok. And, and it's fascinating because as we look in the account of Joshua, as the children of Israel are led under Joshua, a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ, into the land, when we look at the verse, the first battle, victory that took place over the nations east of the Jordan, it took place here. In other words, and something as us, as, as Bible students, as we're trying to note these things and, and to understand what these things were anticipating, Jacob is on the verge of the promised land. He's in the very place that the great victories would take place at the east of the Jordan, as Joshua leads the, the children of Israel into the land, the great victories for that will take place. And almost, it's like an anticipation of the, the land being taken and the promises being fulfilled. This was a precursor. This was a precursor for that moment. Jacob wasn't in the land. He'd been promised a seed and a land. But it's almost as if this wrestling match is now going to push Jacob. He needs a divine push. Oh, don't we all need divine pushes from time to time? He's going to be divinely pushed into the land. This is what the wrestling match is all about. The word wrestled here is a very interesting Hebrew word. It's the word abak, where he is wrestling with this unidentified adversary. And the word abak here is to grapple, to get Dusty. In other words, the battle, the wrestling, the contest was so ferocious, it created a dust of cloud. It was impossible if you were a, a, an onseer on that scene, it would be impossible to identify who was who. That's the idea that's being expressed here. And what's also interesting, there's a lovely play on words in scripture. Jacob, Jabbok. Abak, which is the Hebrew word of wrestling, they all share the same root. It's as if everything was wrestling, everything was trembling, everything was shuddering. The whole world shook. This is how momentous this wrestling is because something is going to emerge from this. A man with a new identity, with a new destiny, a destiny that was available for all those who believe in the God of Jacob. A spiritual birth would take place. And the whole world, as it were, looked on as the world shook at this wrestling, as the, 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 the drama unfolded. I want you to imagine then dim, moonlit scene 
two silhouettes wrestling away, a dust storm's created, and it's an even match. This is the, the terrestrial with the celestial. This is the, the temporal with the divine. This is the mortal with the eternal. And this was more than a, a physical match. This was a great spiritual match. And I want you just to imagine for a moment as the, the cloud, the dust storm was being created as they wrestled one with another and they gripped on. Can you imagine the, the face of intensity with Jacob as he fought for his life on this momentous night? I really stressed the point, didn't I? The identity of the person was not revealed. And, and all of us, we know the account so well, and perhaps that's a bit of a surprise. It takes 1,000 years later for the scriptures to reveal that it was an angel. Shall we have a look there? It's in Hosea chapter 12. And you can imagine Jacob, and he's going to tell everyone that he, that he fought with an angel, but it wasn't recorded. And it would have been part of hearsay. It's not recorded in Genesis. It's found in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 12. And if we're going to understand the wrestling, we have to understand Hosea chapter 12. So it's worth putting a, a marker there. So let's just look at the wow moment. And it is a wow moment here. Verse 4 of Hosea chapter 12. And you can imagine scripture readers and they're waiting for a thousand years for the identity of this adversary to be revealed. And here you have it. Yea, he had power over the angel. There you are. That's worth underlining. It was Hosea who revealed the truth a thousand years later. And he prevailed and wept and made supplication unto him. Found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Just want you to, to reflect for a moment. There was the angel of Bethel, remember, at the, the base of the staircase and insisted upon Jacob that he wouldn't leave him. And I believe that angel never left Jacob. I also said yesterday that I believe that angel was Michael, the one who stood for the, the children of the people of Daniel 12, verse 2. Uh, an angel, a divine angel, that had the responsibility of orchestrating events for the nation of Israel. And if that angel had that responsibility, then surely it is the guardian angel of Jacob and this was the angel there. And I believe that angel followed Jacob in Laban's house and all the things that unfolded in Laban's house. And here he is. And I believe that this is the angel that wrestles with him this time. The angel that spoke to him 20 years earlier. I'm never going to leave you. And now to insist upon the point, he grabs this man. He holds this man. He clutches this man. And Jacob now is going to know that this man is never going to leave. If you don't believe me, you'll believe me now is the point in all of this. But there's another little detail here that's not revealed in Genesis. And it, and it comes out much clearer here in verse 4. It says there that Jacob had power over the angel and prevailed. I want us just to take stock of that. Jacob at this time is nearly 100 years of age. I believe he's 97 years of age at this time. And the divine record tells us that he didn't just wrestle. Not only was it a dust storm, but he prevailed. That he was victorious against the angel. 
And how does a 97-year-old man who's fearful for his life, who's running away from Esau, how can he contest with an angel and wrestle all night long and be victorious? What were the weapons of Jacob? It's very clear, isn't it? Because it tells us there in verse 4, that he had power of the angel. We just need to read, and he prevailed. How? He wept and made supplication. So I want you to, to imagine this just dramatic scene. This great wrestling match is taking place, and there is Jacob, and he's locked in arm-to-arm combat with this angel. And surely he, he, he understands quite quickly that this is no Esau. This is something far, far greater. And he's locked in arm-to-arm combat. And as he sees this angel, he begins to cry and pray and speak supplication. And every time he prayed and every time he expressed a supplication, that was a heavy blow against that angel. That was the, the weapons of Jacob. He was made strong in his weakness. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful spiritual man we have here. There's no strength of Esau here. This is an entirely different picture. This is not the strength of an angel. This is the strength of a weak man powered by God. And he was so powerful that night. He's on the verge of victory. Let's just look a little more carefully. Look at verse 3. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. And there's no break between verses 3 and 4, so let's just continue. He had power with God, and with that power with God, yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. I want you just to notice that. That's a very important connection, isn't it? How did he have strength over the angel? Through prayers and supplications. But notice there... The end of verse 3, he had strength because he had power with God, and that power with God allowed him to prevail against the angel. Oh, that's really interesting. So it's now not his strength, it's the power of God that allows him to prevail. That's really fascinating, isn't it? Because we think, are the angels powered by God? But now, God is powering Jacob to overcome the angel. Well, think about that in a moment. But the interesting thing I feel anyway, is is those little expressions there. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. That's why he's called Jacob, wasn't it? Because he was a heel catcher. Nearly 100 years of age. And suddenly, this man grows up. Can you remember the root of the name Esau? It means to be fully made. Remember that? Fully made. He was this bearded little baby. takes Jacob a hundred years to grow up, and he grows up this night. Can we just look at that? So he begins life as a Jacob, holding on to the heel, and then this night, he has power with God. Notice that phrase there in your margin, by his strength, he had power with God. In my margin, I've got in his manhood. Have you got that? That's really important that you've got that. If you've not got that, please put it in, in his manhood. In other words, he's Jacob at birth. He's holding on to the heel. He's perhaps 97 years of age, and suddenly, as he wrestles, he starts to grow and grow and grow as a man. And as he grows and grows as a man, he becomes stronger and stronger and stronger to the point that he's about to prevail over the angel. That's the picture. That's the dynamic. Isn't that amazing? 
Suddenly, he looses the heel of Jacob. And this is why he's going to get the name of Israel. This is the night. Because he becomes a man. He was holding onto that heel in the womb. And suddenly he's a man at 97 years of age. He's suddenly a man. And he has the power with God. That's an important thing. That's where he gets his strength from. There he was, the looming shadow of Esau, this booming brother. Suddenly Jacob understands that he only has power with God. That's an exhortation for all of us, isn't it? So I ask you, I want you to imagine now these two locked in combat all night long, a man of 100 years. And perhaps you've got Michael, with the exception of Gabriel, the greatest of all the angels. And he's locked with Jacob. This is a no contest, isn't it? But Jacob is locked in prayer, we see there in Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4. Throughout the wrestling, this man is praying. And he's praying for strength. And he's praying for a blessing. God is answering him. You know these words. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5 verse 16. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say? With faith you can move. And he did. That's exactly what Jacob did that night. He moved quite literally a mountain. Well, some of you might not be convinced. You might be thinking, well, perhaps this angel allowed Jacob to prevail. Shall we go back to Genesis chapter 32? Genesis chapter 32. Let's just read what it says here in Scripture. Verse 25 says, And when he saw, that's the angel saw. Sometimes we think that's Jacob. And when the angel saw that he prevailed not against him, Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of his Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And what I've got on the, the screen here, some other translations, because the King James is, is not unique here, that the same sense is expressed in all of the, the translations here. So we've got the, we've got, uh, the, um, we've got the new, literal, uh, new Living Translation here, when the angel saw that he prevailed not. The ESV, he would not win the match. That's quite definitive, isn't it? Uh, the net, um, he could not prevail against him, and the ESV, no, the ESV, he could not prevail against him, and the net, he could not defeat Jacob, right? So this match was close. It was on a knife edge. And Jacob is getting stronger and stronger and stronger as he becomes a man, and suddenly, the angel realizes that he's on the brink of losing the contest. That's what the scripture says. And the angel now has to make a move quickly. Otherwise, the angel will be defeated. This is amazing. And he touched the hollow 
Jacob's And now it's all over. The tables are turned. We would imagine. And no contest now. But Jacob continues in prayer. You know, the, um, if you look at the hip, the thigh, we get all our mobility from our thigh, all our flexibility, all our rotation. If we are, you find yourself in a wrestling match, if you are in a wrestling match, you don't last very long because you can't exert any strength, right? Through your legs, without your hip, without your thigh. No mobility, no strength, no upper strength at all. It was impossible for Jacob to win. Agonizing pain. He would be writhing in agony. Yet this man, in this moment of real unparalleled determination from an Old Testament point of view, he won't let go. I wonder, brothers and sisters, whether we've had moments in our lives that suddenly, when things have been going so swimmingly well, we find ourselves absolutely empty of any strength. It's just been stripped away from us. We find ourselves broken, dashed. We don't know where it's come from. But we're rock bottom. And if we are feeling like that now, this is the lesson for us, brothers and sisters. Because it's moments like this. This is why we love this account with Jacob. Because it's in moments like this where we see real inner strength and the true character of a person, don't we? The character of a person is truly revealed in moments like this. And Jacob would only win by resting entirely on his God. And that's the point. And isn't it the case? I know it's the case. When we do hit rock bottom. Our fellowship with God is stronger in those moments in the Lord Jesus Christ than any moment in our lives because we have to rely on him. And that's the point that's being made here. As Hosea 12 tells us, that's when we have power with God. Well, this was excruciating. And I notice there in verse 25 that the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. This is a, a very powerful messianic picture. Let's have a look at Psalm 22. Another great wrestling match would take place on a far greater scale. The Lord Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman wrestling with the serpent and crushing it with his heel. But I want you just to notice here this wonderful messianic psalm that, that begins, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We can pick out so many expressions here and verses that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want you to notice here is verse 14 and the feeling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read these words, I want you just to reflect for a moment the experience of Genesis 32 and Jacob wrestling with the angel. So in the first person, David anticipating the Lord, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. 
Now, the thing I want you to notice here, in Genesis 32, verse 25, you've got out of joint. And the word here is to be dislocated. That is the pain that Jacob felt. His bone was dislocated in such a critical area of his body, which wouldn't allow him to wrestle. But such was his determination, his courage, and his faith, he continued. But this word used of the Lord Jesus Christ is so much stronger. It is not to be dislocated. The idea in the Hebrew here, this word in verse 14, is the idea out of joint. It is to separate or to divide. And, and let me just explain this graphically. Every bone has a joint. We know that not a bone could be broken of the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill the Passover of Exodus chapter 12. And perhaps we don't think of it from this aspect. It tells us quite clearly in Psalm 22, although a bone was not to be broken, the feeling of the Lord was that every joint was separated. Every bone was cast out. It wasn't just a hip. It was every bone in his body he felt. Can you see the greater scale of the Lord Jesus Christ and the great wrestling that took place? And no doubt Jesus took great comfort of what Jacob was able to achieve in courage and strength as he became a man and took on the angel and prevailed. And so then, these words, the idea of being broken away, that his body was physically broken, joint by joint. Can you imagine that? As, he, as he's there upon the cross, every bone, every joint, break, 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 break. That was the feeling of the Lord. And isn't this now so, so meaningful when, when we read of the apostles where they, they make the commandment, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is the idea that I believe it stems from, that every joint was broken as the greater than Jacob. Come back to Genesis chapter 32. So you might be a little surprised that when we come back to Genesis chapter 32, the angel still, he's not getting his own way. He's got a fiercely determined man on his hands, quite literally. And so notice these words here. The angel says to Jacob, let me go for the day breaking. But even with a dislocated hip, Jacob wasn't letting go. And now as far as the angel was concerned, I want you to notice this. As far as the angel was concerned, the contest was over and Jacob needed to stop. As far as the angel was concerned, the contest was over. The point had been proven. It was time to stop. Why? Why was it time to stop as far as the angel was concerned? Well, Hosea chapter 12 tells us, by his strength, he had power in God. He became a man. And the angel tells Jacob, you've got to let me go. It's time to stop. Because what I set out to achieve, we've now achieved, you've become a man. You see that? It's time to stop now, Jacob. We've achieved what we wanted to achieve together. You've now become a man. You're no longer holding on to the heel of Esau. You've now become a man. 
But Jacob replies, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. So, so here now, Jacob, he's not listening to the angel. And he's looking beyond all the pain. He says, no way. I'm holding on. I just want you to imagine that little dialogue. There's the angel saying, it's time to stop now. You've become a man. Wonderful it is. And Esau says, no way. I'm not letting go until you bless me. In other words, and if we reflect upon a moment, you can see then that there are two contests that are being fought in one match. This is really interesting. If you just, just put your pencils down for a moment and just, just reflect, please, for, for this for a moment. There's two contests that are taking place in one match. I want you to imagine it a, a two-way wrestling match. The angel is wrestling with Jacob for what reason? To change his character. To make him a man. And when he makes him a man, and he can see that he's a man, as far as the angel's concerned, it's time to stop. But Jacob is also wrestling, and he's got a very different intention. He's holding on because he wants the blessing. Can you see that? They're both wrestling for two different reasons. Isn't that the story of our lives? That God places his hands upon us and shakes us and stirs us to mold and shape us so that we become more like him. And when that wonderful fashioning in the Lord Jesus Christ is finished, the wrestling is over. But we endure from our perspective. We hold on in order to receive the blessing. Can you see that? This is a, like a cameo of something far greater for all Jacob's children, for the whole nation of Israel, for the ecclesia that we looked at yesterday. Can you see that? We're all involved in this contest. And it's a, a two-part contest in one hard-fought match. It's about a character change. And it's about a receiving of a blessing. Have you wondered why in verse 27 something quite unconventional happened? After you've been, you've had your hip dislocated and you fought all night and you're 100 years of age and your heart is bursting, you've got no strength in your legs, your arms are numb, you've gone beyond the point of pain. And the angel then asks, what is your name? That's a, a rather unconventional question, isn't it, in the situation? Have you wondered why? If this was the angel that had been with him since Bethel and had shadowed him in all the experience in Laban's house, this angel would know everything about this man. His very thoughts. So why, oh why, does he ask him, what is your name? When he knew full well it was Jacob. Me? This is the most powerful thing of it all. Come back to Genesis chapter 27. This is where it all began. This is like the, the catalyst of events. This is where the whole sequence kicks off. The stealing of the blessing. Jacob goes in disguised as Esau. And think of the situation. His father is about to give him a blessing. 
His father is about to give him a blessing. And he asks him one question. One question. Verse 18 of Genesis chapter 27. And Jacob, disguised as Esau, came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? Came unto him and said, My father, here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau. And again, the question was asked. And then in verse 24, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. This was the question that, that Isaac asked Jacob before disguised as Esau. And he gave a lie. And he gave it twice. I am Esau. So now, a repeat of the situation takes place. The angel is about to give a blessing to Jacob and says, what is your name? And the angel needed Jacob, needed Jacob to say, I'm Jacob. And why did the angel need Jacob to disclose that he truly was Jacob? Because in the, the confession of Jacob, he was saying, I am a heel catcher. I am a deceiver. I am someone fearful from the face of Esau. You see that? It was this incredible confession. And when he makes this confession, God says, I can work with you. I can change you. I can transform. And this is an incredible moment, isn't it? Because up till now, Jacob has been running and running and running away from the face of Jacob. And now, He's frozen in his place, isn't he? His hip is out of joint. He's got no strength. He's got nowhere to run. The only thing he can do is to face off to who he really is. He is Jacob. He is a heel catcher. He is a deceiver. And so now then, having said these words, if you come back to chapter 32, God responds right away. This is what he wanted to hear all along. My name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. This is what it needed. It needed the confession that he was Jacob. It's fascinating that in verse 28, this is the first recorded uh, a place in Scripture that we have the name of Israel. So that's significant, isn't it? And, and perhaps that, that's to be expected with the name being changed from Jacob to Israel. But this is the first time that we come across this. And so then it's this chapter and this verse that we get the definition of Israel. And if you look at the definition of Israel, which we're going to look at right now, perhaps it's not particularly clear in your mind. It wasn't clear in my mind until I did this study. What, what's being said here? Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Let's just look at some other translations here. Perhaps these might help us. So looking at the New King James Version, we have, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. 
the New Living Translation has these words. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now, I don't know whether you found those translations helpful. I didn't. I don't understand this, this, this definition of Israel of contesting with God and with men and prevailing. How can you prevail against God? I don't understand that. And I think there's an answer. Look at the meaning of Israel here. Look at the meaning of Israel in verse 28. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. And you may have in your margin something like a prince with God or a striver with God. Got something like that? Prince with God and a striver with God. Now, uh, that's not the scriptures hedging its bets. It means both. There is a dual application, and there's a lovely dynamic flow to it that to strive with God, eventually, through God's grace, we become a prince with God. That's the idea there. We become kings and priests that we read of in the book of Revelation. That's a, that's a lovely thought, isn't it? It's a, it's a narrative. It's a story. It's a Jacob journey. We, we strive, and then we become princes with God. Hebraeus tell us also that when you look at the name Israel, it has a future tense. And I'm not surprised by that because the name of God, Yahweh, which we looked at yesterday, where, where Abraham invoked Yahweh in the name of Yahweh. Remember that's a Bethel? Well, that name Yahweh is a, is a future tense, isn't it? I will be who I will be. And Israel shares that idea that those who strive will God will become princes with God in that future kingdom of God. And that's a lovely thought, isn't it? That there's this real emphasis of a future glory. And that's the whole life of Jacob. He had to forsake all the things that Esau was, was, was indulging himself with, and he had to look forward to the eye of faith. But all those things don't capture it for me personally. It may have done for you, but I needed more. I'm going to share this with you. Just look again, please. We're not going to follow this if we, we don't look at the, the verse here. Thy name shall be no longer heel catcher, but with someone who strives with God. Okay? I want you to note that. The person who is identified with Israel is someone who strives with God. It is not someone who strives with men. The name Israel is someone who strives with God. Then we go on. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So, so the sense there is that you have power with God and with men and you prevail. It seems to suggest in the King James Version that you prevail against God and men. But I believe the sense is this, and I'll read this to you. Ye shall no longer be called heel catcher, but a striver with God. You may have this in your margin. Thou hast striven with God, or thou hast power with God, and thou shalt prevail against men. I believe that is it. And I'd never seen this before. You may have seen this before. I've never seen this before. And suddenly now, the name of Israel is something incredibly personal to you and to me. 
And it's, it's absolutely loaded with wonderful exhortation. It's a picture, the name of Israel is a picture of a father with a son. And roughing that son up playfully. And making that son grow strong day by day. It's a, it's a relationship of love and care, an absolute intimacy, father and son, father and daughter, in order that when that son and daughter grows up, he and she prevails against men. That is the definition of Israel. And at the heart of that definition is a father with his children, and are we surprised with that? Of course we're not. And that's why suddenly the phrase, the children of God, means something now, to me personally, a lot more. They are Israel. They are God's children. They are playing with God as he, as he makes them strong so that we can overcome all the adversaries and all the worldly foes. And so that one day in God's strength and power, we become princes with him. Can you see that? That's the meaning of Israel. What an amazing meaning that is. The personal message you went to me. It's the gospel message there revealed. So I got really excited when I, when I discovered that. Right then. So it was such a real event to Jacob that he renames the place there in verse 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. And the reason? For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. That's fascinating, isn't it? We've, we've already looked at the face of Esau, and it was at this place when he gets older and older, becomes more mature, he becomes a man, he suddenly now sees the face of God. And, and as a memorial, he calls the place Peniel. But that's not it. That's not it. The word Peniel you will have there in your margin, in verse 30 of chapter 32, you will have in your margin, no doubt, the face of God. And your margin is not right with the greatest of respect. The name Peniel has two Hebrew roots, and you'll love this because I loved it. It's Pana El. Pana El is the name Peniel. And you know right away what El is. That's God. But Pana is to turn. He came to Peniel looking at the face of Esau. And as he wrestled and he got stronger and he was empowered by God, his face started to turn, to turn. And by the end of the night, at the dawn of a new day, his face had turned all the way round, and he was facing the face of God. And so by application, it is the face of God. But we miss the lesson. Jacob had to return. This is the whole idea of repent, isn't it? And he made this confession, I am Esau. I am Jacob, he said this time. No longer strong as Esau, 
I am a heel catcher. I am a deceiver. I run from the face of my big brother. Jacob was a cripple for life. When the dawn came, he had a limp. And brothers and sisters, our crises are real, aren't they? The suffering and the cuts that we endure in life sometimes run very deep. But when the new dawn comes and we look at what we've endured during the battle of the night and we bear the scars, let us take comfort that those scars are honorable scars. They are scars that have been inflicted upon us because we've been bold and we've been courageous and we've been prepared to hold on to the Lord blesses us. And so, brothers and sisters, the lesson is this for today. It's only when we all individually admit that we are Jacob, that we are heel catchers, that we have deceived, that we're fearful from the face of Esau, and we confess and we acknowledge that we are in need of God's salvation, that God can work with us. So the instruction from today is this. In our prayers and in our daily lives, let's shout out loud who we really are. Let's confess. Let's be honest. And I leave this question with you. Have you taken off your mask and openly admitted who you really are?